0: Often in life our greatest challenges turn out to be our biggest achievements. That was certainly the case for Danielle Manton Kelly. Her life turned upside down when she became pregnant at university. With the support of her housemates who helped her care for her baby, Danielle completed her degree and she said that having a child so young gave her resilience. She then had a second child just after qualifying as a teacher and her third after starting her own business. Now happily married with a fourth baby, Danielle joins me today to talk about the strengths those early days of single parenthood gave her. Today, Danielle is better known as the Enchanted Nanny. In part one of our double podcast podcast, I talked to her about being a strong single mum and how she creates unique spaces for little ones to be creative and curious through play, songs and storytelling. Her son Will joined us and he had plenty to say too. You can read more about Danielle on the Birmingham Live website and on the Brummy Mummy's Facebook page. Follow her on Instagram and TikTok. Just search Enchanted Nanny. Listen out for our second episode with Danielle, where she shares her tips on successful weaning. Hi, Danielle. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Hi, Zoe. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So you have such an interesting parenting journey. You seem to have had children at real pivotal moments in your life. So tell me a bit about that. I mean, you had your first daughter when you were at uni. How was that experience?
1: It was the single most life changing thing I've ever been through. And obviously people say that when they have their first child, it it does change your life completely, but it also totally altered my trajectory of who I was as a person, not just who I was, you know, academically or professionally before I had my daughter. I was just very... Uh, everyone used to call me a butterfly because I would flip, so I could never concentrate on one thing. I I didn't work very hard. I just sort of, like, got by on on luck. And it completely changed me overnight. I I remember having her in the hospital and looking down, and she was just looking right at me and thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got to keep you safe, and I have to build a future for us. And... Uh, And I went back to university and everything was different. It wasn't just about making sure that she was okay. The friends that I had, I was suddenly considering, you know, are these people that I want in her life forever? Because whoever I have around her is going to be a huge deal. They're going to make an influence. They're going to have an influence, not just on her, but on me. And just, yeah, everything changed. I suddenly saw everything as a, what future does this lead to? What future does making this decision lead to? Suddenly, you know, I I was in performing arts and I really wanted to be doing shows and and be performing and doing all these wonderful things. And suddenly I was having to think about somebody else and I I wasn't prepared. I was prepared for the baby, um what I wasn't prepared for was the foreverness of everything which I don't think any I I, I don't think anyone ever really is but when you're only 19 and suddenly you're thinking oh I'm I'm someone's mummy always now just like with William (laughs) are you you trying to get involved are you saying it too you do agree with me Yeah, he agrees. (laughs) That, That for me was the biggest thing. And I don't think that that was any different because I was at uni. I think every mother goes through that. But suddenly everything carried weight. Every experience, every essay I was writing, there was a reason behind it. And it changed me. It was amazing because suddenly I was getting first and i was successful and i had this fire lit from beneath me that was just propelling me and so it changed my my everything for the better uh, she she was just such a complete blessing in in a time where most people would say oh my goodness this is quite possibly the worst thing that could happen to you for me i i would not be where i am now had it not been for bella
0: That's wonderful. So, did you go straight back into uni? You didn't take any time out. Yeah. So I popped her out in the July. She was two weeks late, um, or sixteen days late.
1: Um, So everyone was waiting. So she was born on the twenty second of July, and then I wasn't supposed to go back up until sort of around October time because obviously uni students they they all start a little bit later. It's not the the September. I got to, I think the 1st of August and realized I needed to leave. (laughs) Um, So I went back home, had her at home. um, And then, yeah, it really wasn't very long before I I shot back up to my uni house because that was, and actually that was the biggest thing. And one of the things I really didn't expect was what the relationship with my mother would be like going home and suddenly being a mum myself And I'm so close to my mum and so happy at home, but I couldn't, I couldn't be, I needed to do it myself and I needed to forge my own path. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't do that alongside my mum as wonderful as she is. So I actually went back a lot sooner than I was expecting to, um, And I lived in a student house with my best friend, Lou, and my best friend, Luke. Um, And it was just incredible because I had a support network that most new parents don't have. I had two friends who were childless, and we were studying alongside each other. And they were just there for me. And you don't get that when you are an older mum or just an adult mother um you're very much on your own in the daytime because you know you bring baby home your partner's usually working you have to go out and find people and usually the only thing you have in common with those people is the fact that you're both parents but it really stops there whereas I was in a house with two people that had chosen to stay with me with my baby and it was amazing best year of my life and I really mean that it was the hardest um because I was a new parent but I was a new parent alongside my friends and they had energy and they wanted to be chatting and and they were you know happy to take her if I needed a bath and it was just wonderful um so yeah that was that was what that year was like just that was fantastic spectacular yes. uh, I, I lived with so I live with someone who's um he's really really big on TikTok he's quite famous now and it's really funny because we we look back and like he's he saw me give birth and he was you know there throughout all of this stuff the most just extra flamboyant salt of the earth, lovely, lovely person. And I would come home and he'd make me an apple martini and he'd have like run a bath and just absolutely lovely. The the closest thing I've ever had to a brother and just, yeah, we had a very mature student house, but we at the same time had so much fun. And again, I think she very much made those two as well because we all grew up that summer and yeah, it was just it was brilliant just the best of days
0: so you qualified as a teacher and yes. then you became pregnant with your second child yeah so you were just starting work then were you yeah so I well I had Bella obviously
1: at uni then we graduated that summer so she was just about to turn one and we graduated. And again, I was very much, what do I do next? I want to become a teacher. I've got no idea how to go about doing that and doing it well. So I volunteered during my last year at uni. I volunteered at a private school um, because it's it's easier to do that. They, they can kind of allow people in as long as they've got like the right checks in place. They can go you know, and have somebody volunteer and they don't have to jump through so many hoops, I don't think. Anyway, so they wanted me to direct their drama production for their year sixes. And so I did, and I did it all for free. And I was there most evenings. My friends looked after Bella or sometimes I brought her with me and I was directing um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I did all the set and just did everything for this production, And then they said, look, we'd really like you to come on board as a teaching assistant. You're really great with these kids. So I did. Um, And it was really hard. I got paid way, way less than minimum wage. I was like barely surviving. Um, All of my friends at that point graduated, who had graduated, left and went into London. So I was very much on my own. Um, I got a little flat in Virginia Water and worked full time. Um, and it was really, really hard. Um, but doing that meant that I could then apply to do school centered initial teacher training, which is like an intensive year. So once you have, um, a degree, you can then go and do like a, a post-grad in, in teaching. And it's just a really intense, intense year. So rather than doing like the full four year PGCE, you kind of do your sort of like speciality and then you go and do the teacher training for a, a year and you go straight in so obviously Bella at this point was about 2 and I was teaching anyway full time you just don't get paid for it <laughs> you you go and you do it and you you get on and you you just sort of suck it up so at that point um I was receiving like uh, child tax credit so we we received all the benefits that we needed to so that I could do my training um, at that point I'd gotten back together with Bella's father and he was also training. Um, and then I, I got in, I got into teacher training. Um, so that's sort of how I did all of that. And it was really hard. Anyone that's done a skit will tell you it is the most intense thing. When you train to teach and you are just doing a year, you're learning everything in the classroom. And then you're going to an adult classroom and learning everything there as well. And you don't sleep. You don't have any time off. You're just working and working and working. Um, but yeah, so basically that training, although you're technically not a teacher, you you do spend a year teaching. So I kind of already felt like I'd juggled teaching with having a toddler and already knew that it was, pretty awful um and then i got a job obviously as an actual fully qualified primary school teacher did my year and then yeah i found out i was pregnant and it that pregnancy once again saved my life <laughs> um because i wasn't in a school that i was happy about being in um and i found out relatively quickly that i wasn't going to be supported Um, I, it was a one, it's called a one form entry school. So it's one class per year group. Hi. And what that means is you don't have a year leader. So you're supposed to have a mentor when you get your teacher training degree, you have your first year with someone looking after you. And I didn't have that. And I was running, and I was running a whole year group. Um, and it was just so, I did quickly realize that actually balancing teaching and being a parent wasn't for me um I was also in a school where I didn't feel like the values that I had in place when I trained to teach were ever going to be respected or va- you know and I don't know whether that would have been the case if I had moved, but I felt pregnant, so I sort of thought actually, do you know what this is this is just what I'll do um so I had her and came home and very much knew that I wasn't going to go back to that school I did think that I would go back to teaching but actually the more I considered how much of an all or nothing job it is and how much of an all or nothing nothing job parenting is I realized I didn't want to have to choose and I I couldn't make that decision and um to stay on and have to try and balance and do both things badly, because that's what I would have been doing. I wouldn't have been teaching in the way that I was used to. And I wouldn't have been being a mum in the way that I was used to. So I I stopped. Um, and then I became a childminder for a year. And again, I, I loved it. But I, I wasn't fulfilled in that, I missed people, (laughs) so I was with children all day long, but it was never having any adult interaction, and when the parents would pick up their babies, they would really want that interaction with me, and at that point, I was burnt out, but actually, I did love giving the advice that they were asking for and supporting them, so once again, I was giving 110% of myself and burning out because I... I was doing a job that I was meant for, but it meant that my family was suffering, people were coming into my house and I, ha- I didn't have that boundary. So again, I was like left in that sort of pattern of, I, I I feel like I'm supposed to be doing this. I feel like I'm on the right path of helping parents and looking after children, but it's still not right. And then I fell pregnant again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, These are planned babies, by the way, that it's, you know, we we do know what birth control is. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we, we, I think in any time of um, feeling a little bit lost, strangely, that's when my husband and I, like, we build more and more on our relationship because I think, you know, we're really very good at communicating. So at that instance, when I was sort of like, blah, 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 he's always very like, well, I'll just have a baby. Um, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> four later, <laughs> we should probably stop. Um, so yeah, so basically, that led me to childminding. That then led me to having my third daughter. And that's when we then created Wedding Crushers. So I left childminding and decided that I still wanted to create the perfect career for myself I knew I wanted to work with children I love working with parents and I also love weddings um and I had my own wedding around that time and realized how difficult that it was to balance the children and the wedding itself and, and being able to actually enjoy it. And so suddenly I realized, okay, that's that's what I'll do. So I'm very, very much, I really listen to myself. And when I have an idea and the idea seems needed, it's something that I need and it seems fun and it feels like it's going to fill every cup, then I just go for it. Because I'm very much like, well, if you don't try, you don't know. Um, so we created The Wedding crushes, which is a luxury... Um, bespoke wedding childcare company. So nannies at weddings, playrooms, play tents, you name it, we did it. And it was really, really, really successful. However, it's a very mobile business and I got quite poorly. Um, So I developed an autoimmune disease called rheumatoid arthritis. And once lockdown hit, I realized actually it wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. So as quick as I am to say this looks like fun, let's go for it. I'm also very quick to listen to my mental health, my body, my family, and what all of those things need. So I quickly decided, actually, this is really successful, but it's not for me. So I sold it. I found another brilliant mum who I'd actually done my teacher training with. um, And she really needed an out as well because she was burnt out. Yeah, I know. And... Ah! She bought it and has done absolutely incredibly with it. So it's building that sort of has also given her this other wonderful thing. Um, And now she's doing a lot of work to support mums in business as well. She's really super happy. And then that kind of led me on to my next business. Um, So yeah, and, and that kind of came about very much through lockdown. And again, it's very much been a case of seeing what people need and then filling that gap.
0: So tell me about your business now. So um, how long a story do you want? (laughs) Basically during lockdown,
1: obviously all the weddings got cancelled and I suddenly realised I needed to do something. I'm not really one to sit around. I could have done, I could have sort of done a whole number of much more relaxing things, but instead I was like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something for families." So I, I had started doing story times in person in a little toy shop in a place called Poundbury, and they were always sold out. Um, so I was like, "Well, I'll just, I'll just do that for those parents. I'll create the story times, and we'll just do lots of lovely things, and we'll do them online." So one story time a day quickly became two or three. And I would go live on Facebook, Instagram, and I'd have a few different screens filming so that it, you know, everybody could access it. Um, and then I would do lots of songs and lots of stories. And then I asked some of the parents if they wanted me to extend that a little bit once we realized that that two-week lockdown was actually going to go on for quite a lot longer. So I ended up running phonics sessions live on Facebook and Instagram. And that then became me teaching maths. I was teaching science, cooking, continuing on with the stories and song times, then running sort of parent support classes, teaching parents about how to teach phonics. Um, And it just became this big kind of platform for keeping the children learning along the course that they needed. So say, for instance, if they'd just gone into reception and then they were going to be going back to year one, and obviously what else were they going to be doing? Because actually most schools didn't have a huge provision in place for nursery children and and children in year R. So it became incredibly popular. And then I started to do um, some Zoom birthday parties and Zoom tutoring or just entertaining the children So I was doing it on my platform, then doing that privately on Zoom. And it just meant that parents could have a half an hour here and there to sit down and have a breather, also answer any emails, get any work done. Um, And that got, yeah, it just got picked up and it was really, really popular. So then once we came out of lockdown... I wanted to be able to do all of those things, but do them in person because I'd just been performing to a screen for, you know, a year, two years. Um, So then I ended up doing lots and lots of live events in various different venues, created Enchanted Nanny as a a kind of a space where parents can ask questions, learn, meet other mums, come to all of the different events And then I built the Enchanted Village, which was a physical space where I could be there every day to do that. Children could play with toys. Parents could learn about all the different things they wanted to learn about. We built a community of dads, a community of grandparents. And so everything that I sort of did as a result of creating Enchanted Nanny and then the Enchanted Village was all just constantly about uh, sort of helping children to progress, but also pulling communities together and creating that village that everybody talks about, but that doesn't exist. Um, And that's sort of where I am now is just continuing on with that village, continuing on with Enchanted Nanny, making sure that it's something that is about spreading information, helping parents to feel confident and informed and supported while also entertaining the little ones. So it's a big kind of melting pot of different stuff. And that's why it's called Enchanted Nanny, because I was always really inspired by Mary Poppins. And everyone always thinks that she just got there to, you know, look after the children and have fun adventures. But actually, when she leaves, it's the parents that are in a better mental state. And that's why she goes. And I can never figure that out as a child. But the more I watch it, the more I think, okay, she always leaves when she's not needed anymore. And actually she was only ever there to put the parents and the families into a spot where they were once again comfortable confident and close and that's really all I've ever wanted to do because that's what I needed when I had Bella I didn't have a clue what I was doing I look back at you know the car seat that she was in and I look back at the food I used to give her because I didn't know anything and really that was the only downside of taking her back up to uni I didn't there wasn't really anyone I could ask I really could have used someone like me (laughs) Um, to just ask those questions, or just go onto the page. That's why I've created it because it was something that I needed desperately.
0: And it sounds as though you've brought together everything that you've done over the years with your performing arts and your teaching and the children and everything. I mean, you've achieved so much. I mean, just getting getting your degree with a little one is just a phenomenal achievement, and then to go on and do so much—it's really inspiring. Thank you. It's it
1: I think the thing is when you when you're on the journey, you really only are ever paying attention to the stops along the way. And it's really only ever when you look back. And and actually I, I hadn't told like that full story for a good you know year two years so actually you know when you're telling it and you're thinking goodness this is actually going on for ages and I'm feeling really bad about it because I feel like I you know I'm, I'm not very interesting but but then when you're sort of like no actually it's long because lots of things have happened and there's been lots of growth and lots of development and actually yeah it's, it's nice to say it out loud <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes definitely so how old are your children now so I have a nearly 14-year-old, a nearly 10-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old. And how has being a young mum impacted on your parenting journey and perhaps your relationship with your children? In so many ways. And it's really funny, actually, because obviously when
1: I when I had William, I'm not classed as a young mum anymore. I'm just a mum. That, that's really weird. Because, and actually, it, it sort of made me consider how much of what I felt like was judgment was actually in my own head because it's sort of taken, you know, a couple of years of going and doing the school run as just a, you know, relatively average aged mum and sort of feeling exactly the same. And actually that judgment that I felt, I think was only ever coming from myself, not from the people Um, around me. I don't uh, know. Hi. I don't know if that makes sense. Um because yes, actually definitely. I felt like it, it was a far bigger deal than it actually was.
0: Um and I, you know so I think we do do that as moms anyway don't we? We we kind of uh And actually as an, an older mum, I now
1: sort of realize that actually no one cares because we're all too busy doubting our own selves or running around no, after our children, or thinking about what we need to buy for dinner, we, we don't notice anyone else, you know. And if we do, it's really only ever because we've noticed something good about them that we then want to factor into our own lives. Unless somebody's doing something really ridiculously bizarre, we just don't notice. Um, it was, I think the one thing that no one prepared me for, and I think that young mums get missed off the list when it comes to talking about things like this, when I did start working in the school, so when Bella was, um, so it was between the ages of one and two, I remember my second week of work when, you know, the buzz had gone and I wasn't, you know, excited to be there anymore. And I just suddenly had this realisation of what that balance meant. And how that meant that actually I was missing out on so many hours in her life. And I just remember getting to school one day and I I had to just go and cry. And luckily I used to go in ridiculously early because I was, again, as a young mum, super eager to please because I didn't want to lose my job. I was supporting her on my own. I was terrified of not doing well and then, you know, getting rid of me. And I, I had a plan and I needed that plan to work Um, and yeah so no one sort of warned me of how much I might regret that um, but also how
0: how much that would hurt in the moment so we have a series of questions we ask all of our guests so I'm going to ask them of you now okay Uh, what are two things you would tell your 18 year old self if you had the chance (sighs) drink so much water
1: (laughs) <laughs> uh, but mine are all health related. Um uh, yeah, definitely just gosh, focus on your health now while you can. Get life insurance immediately while you have no worries. Like I I literally, that is the biggest thing. Because you don't have any ailments, you're not gonna have to pay a fortune, get medical cover, get life insurance, get it all. Because you're sorted then. I was lucky. I did get it when I was 22. So I've, I managed it. I wouldn't manage it now. I have an autoimmune disease. I wouldn't get insured. That's it. So that's the big one, but that's kind of a dull one. So the, what I would say is, is to always remember that they aren't looking at you like people can't list on their hand five embarrassing things about someone else because they they're not interested people are all just looking inward, they're worried about how they look or what they're doing or what their child is doing or what you know so actually as an eighteen as an eighteen year old it would take so- so much of that worry away if I knew that no one no one really gave a what's it and I would have lived more freely and I would have done the things that might be embarrassing because no one's looking it doesn't matter <laughs> um yeah so
0: that hydration and life insurance <laughs> very good tips yes definitely <laughs> and what are three things you love to do every day that gives you maybe a great start in the routine to the day I
1: oh just making my bed really nicely so I know I can get back into it that's a big one um I love having kitchen discos they are a huge part of my life. Um, so I always put music on in my kitchen. I let my children just dance away and it's just the best. And then I get involved. And that, that's the biggest thing is whatever I do, I make sure that I'm, I'm not just watching my children do it. I do it too. Um, yes. And the other one is, uh, most of them are music related, but also I love a podcast. <laughs> so getting out and walking and just listening to other people talking I just love it. I don't know. I It makes me feel, I think it's that adult company thing, isn't it? When you're a parent, actually, it's something that you can do for yourself. It doesn't take away from whatever you're doing at home, whether you're cooking or cleaning or walking up to the school run or it's just something that you can do for you and you can be learning or laughing or, you know, it's just, it's just nice. So yeah, those are my things. And they sound so low key, but actually for me, they make me look forward to things that actually are probably quite mundane like long car journeys or you know just commutes in and out of work and things that make me look forward to being in the kitchen and having dinner with everyone is is actually knowing that we're going to dance afterwards and then yeah making my bed so that I can climb into it it's like a little treat from past me
0: I love that. That's perfect. And I'm with you 100% on kitchen discos and podcasts. (laughs) I I do make my bed as well. (laughs) Um, So, what's the one piece of advice you would give to a young single mom? Oh, gosh, so much. I think the one thing I
1: would say is, and I don't know if this is just me, again, I was so concerned about how I looked. Not just about what, you know, things that I was doing, but how I physically looked, because I very much felt like I really needed to prove myself as a single mum. So, not just a single mum, but a young single mum, I felt like I needed to go mad for all the bake sales. I felt like I needed her birthday parties to be huge, elaborate things. I felt like I needed to be perfect, that my hair needed to be perfect, that I looked great, that she looked perfect all the time. And I put so much pressure on myself, bearing in mind, I was also studying a degree and then I was studying to be a teacher. So I was trying to do the work of a stay at home mum, who was years older than me with ye- years more experience in motherhood relationships, running a house, running finances, whilst also learning to be a teacher whilst also trying to have a relationship with her dad. And I just put such a lot of unnecessary pressure on myself because I felt like I was being watched by everyone around me. Whereas actually what I should have realized is the only person whose watchful eye I needed to be concerned with was my daughter's. And that's it. And actually the memories that she has, her best memories, aren't about the the wares that we went or the who's that we were with it, it it was just it was all about me she remembers so much of it but she doesn't remember the things that i thought were critical you know p- ridiculous party bags Or, you know, what she was wearing that day, what she remembers is these little like micro moments where it was just me and her, or we had a conversation or we were singing something or something really funny happened. None of the things that she remembers from those times are about perfection or how much money we had. They were just about our togetherness. So if I could go back, oh, I'd love to go back and do it again and, and care less because actually I didn't need to prove anything to anyone other than her and me. I could have done that with a lot less worry
0: (laughs) oh it's been so wonderful to talk to you Danielle and you've definitely done an amazing job I think your story is really powerful and inspirational for people so thank thank you you so much for coming on the podcast well that's really really kind and I'm really honoured to to
1: be doing this so thank you uh, really really genuinely thank you for having me It's, it's really
0: lovely to talk to you you can read more about Danielle on the Birmingham Live website and on the Brummie Mummies Facebook page. Follow Danielle on Instagram. Just search Enchanted Nanny. Brummy Mummies is a laudable production which you can download or stream on all major podcasting platforms including Spotify and Apple. Please share this episode with anyone who may find it useful. Follow Brummie Mummies on social media and sign up for our free newsletter. See you next time.